The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Beth Pinsker, a financial planning columnist at Market Watch, and I'm joined today by Jill Johnson, CEO of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. We're here today to talk about the value of diversity in your network and how entrepreneurs, small business owners, and founders from underrepresented groups can find funding and mentorship from investors. Jill, thank you for being here. I am so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, your group does a lot of work to bring people together. So hopefully we've assembled a great audience for you today. For all of you out there joining us live today, we're going to take questions as we go. Um, so put your questions in the chat and we'll get to them. Um, but first, Jill, let's talk about the lay of the land in the business world when it comes to new companies trying to get funding. Um, a recent survey from BBG Ventures found that 79% of seed funding intended for diverse founders goes to white women. On the one hand, it's great for women uh, that they're getting funding of any sort, but that leaves out a lot of women of color from access to capital. Um, does that statistic reflect what you see out there? Yes, yes, it does. Um, that is our experience. You know, I think, Beth, that there are a couple of things to unpack with that statement and with that observation. Um, seed funding, angel funding, friends and family funding is really um, centered on the people that you know, your network, your community, right? And so when we think about um, uh, founders of color not being part of that, women of color not being part of uh, that capital, it's not surprising because oftentimes women of color, black women in particular, are not coming from communities where there is friends and family money that's available. It's not a community where um, there is a lot of knowledge about angel investing. And that is simply because of the, the limited exposure that the community has had to that type of investing. Um, so and no. it goes the other way too, right? It goes the same way for investors. They're looking for diverse projects, but they might have not, not have the network where they have access to people who are diverse. Yeah, and the thing is, and, and I also want to say, I, I don't really use that term diverse or calling people diverse because diversity is everywhere around us. You could have five white guys and they could be very, very different. There's diversity in that group. So um, we choose to use the term historically excluded when referring to people who um, have not had access to capital due to being historically excluded from being able to even build and create wealth. So when you come from one of those groups, what does it take to get the right people to the table? What do you have to do? Well, again, it goes back to relationships. When you, again, look at the fact, going back to your statistic about um, white women being the recipients of the majority of this funding that goes to that diverse pool that you mentioned. Um, it's not surprising 
But I also want to say it's not necessarily sinister. It's not that there was ill intent. It's the fact that people who have resources of any kind um, will invest. And again, you're typically investing in people who you know, like, and trust. So if that is your network, then that's who's going to be the recipient of your resources, your, your money, including um, other resources like you know support, opening doors, things like that. And what we're trying to do through our work is to get more people connected to each other, people whose paths would never have crossed otherwise, simply because they don't maybe live in the same places, they haven't attended the same schools, they're not in the same networks. So we're trying to take um, the community that we have assembled through our very broad networks and bring people together. It's when you bring people together that more people get to know each other. That's how you create the diversity in um, the, uh, the opportunities in which you end up investing as an investor. So tell us what some of those opportunities look like. You have um, conferences, dinners. You were just telling me about it before we started about a dinner you had last night. What, well, this, this was the dinner that I attended. Yeah, that, that was the dinner that I attended. And again, a friend of mine from college who's in the uh, venture space invited me to this amazing dinner that was um, had to do with women in sports and um, investing in uh, opportunities that are adjacent to that. Again, I met a great group of people. I would not have met those people, but for being at that particular event. And that's how it goes. With the events that we do, we, um, again, bring people together. They're invitation-only events, and it's not to be exclusive, it's to be intentional. So we bring people together, and even people who, who register to attend, we invite them to invite people from their network. That's how we extend uh, the reach of these events. And so we center um, some featured entrepreneurs. We have them do their uh, presentations. They're not pitching. We do not position it as a pitch event, but it's a, pre it's a presentation. So they can also share. These are ways that we need help, that we need support. And then we challenge the audience. The audience is filled with investors, allies, executives, uh, and champions, um, people who want to see greater inclusion in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, we then challenge them to um, and say, what is it that you are going to do to support these amazing entrepreneurs that you just saw? And we really create an environment where people get to know each other in the room. They want to get to know each other, where they're open to further conversations. So we're simply planting the seeds from which amazing relationships can grow. And that's what we feel will lead to uh, greater uh, access to capital and other resources. And these type of events are going on around the country, twenty not 24-7, but like you do events throughout the year, throughout the country. We're right now on a 10-city roadshow tour. Yeah. So what, tell me what that looks like. Like what you, you do one city at a time? We do one city at a time. We're doing 10 cities. Last year, we started with four. That was New York City, uh, Palo Alto, Houston, and Washington, D.C. And we said those events went so well and they were so well received. And we saw the connectivity that was happening. We said, great, well, let's just jump out there and do 10. <laughs> we bit off probably a little bit more than we thought we were, but the events are going just phenomenally well. And again, we're seeing the connections that are happening. And not only are these connections happening, 
what we're observing is a shift in mindset that people are being more intentional, having, having, you know, gone into a room that is about intentionality. Um, they are then going forward and thinking more intentionally about the rooms in which they put themselves to broaden their networks. And that's really what it's all about. You know, if you say that you care about diversity and that inclusion matters, then put yourself in spaces and places where you can meet people that you otherwise wouldn't. Right. Uh, I as a nonprofit, um, right? So where does your funding come from and what do you spend your money on? Our money comes from grants, donations, um, anywhere where we can get it. We do have some earned revenue, but um, yeah, our work comes from grants and donations. And even when you think about how that happens, it is mostly through relationships. And so I spend a lot of my time building relationships with people who connect with our work, um, who want to see greater inclusion, and people who are tired of just talking about it and hearing that that there should be more inclusion um, and who want to be focused on taking action and doing something about it. Gotcha. So the seed, the way the angel investing world works is that you, you have people who put in capital and they're looking for projects and you're not one of those groups. Like you're not putting in money and getting a return off of that money. Right. Correct. We are not doing any direct investment. Um, we're not even advising people about investments. I want to make that very, very clear. What we're doing is creating environments where people can connect with each other, because at the foundation of any kind of investing by an individual, it really is. I connect with this this company. I connect with the entrepreneur, the founder. I like what they're doing. I see that there's a possibility. I'm, you know, looking at uh, the opportunity that's there. And then I make the decision to invest or not. You know, that's how it goes for an individual. Um, they're not uh, thinking about, you know, or having to talk to a board, um, you know, or some big committee. It's their personal funds with which they can do whatever they want. And so we are putting uh, people together um, who have resources people who need resources. And we're just simply, again, giving them an opportunity to connect. What happens from there is up to them. Um, but we know that nothing can happen if people are not connected, especially the people who need resources, who come from communities that have been historically excluded from building wealth. There's not that opportunity oftentimes within their own community. So again, we're bringing together worlds that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. I feel like you're talking to one of our, our listeners who asked a question. Uh, Prakash asked uh, about what to do with excess cash to make sure that it's used um, for a worthy cause. And I, I feel like there are lots of people out there in the seed investing world, in the venture capital world, who want to do interesting things with their money, who want good projects to invest in, but their, their worlds aren't broad enough to get them access to all the things that are out there. They like, I see what's out there, but I want to see what I'm not seeing. I want to see what I don't have eyes on. Um, like you're scouting basically for that magic um, player in, you know, in junior high, who's going to turn into the major leaguer or something. Right. 
um, and, well, and they want to find those people and you, you, you help them find those people. So like, how, how do you put people together like Prakash with the right experience that they can meet the right people and, and make that all happen for everybody? Right. And, and, you know, let me give you an analogy um, that I use often. It is that of the Negro Baseball League. There was the Major League Baseball. They had great players. They thought that they had the best players, clearly, right? They were the best in baseball. Well, you had a separate group that was the Negro League, um, where these were people who were great athletes who were excluded from participating in Major League Baseball. Well, um, when Jackie Robinson comes along and um, then is recruited into the MLB, he was a great player among the top in the MLB, right? So the MLB actually did not have, they had great players, not saying that they weren't strong players, but they didn't necessarily have the best. And they didn't know that because there was a whole group that was excluded. And it's not everyone who is in that group who was at the top, but there were people who were amazing, amazing players who performed in the MLB. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening in the investor world that, yep, you can get a great return in the companies in which you have been traditionally investing in the, in the networks that you've traditionally used to source uh, deals, but maybe there are opportunities that you're not seeing just because you don't have exposure and access to these other networks. So what we say is, again, you know, connect with organizations like ours, and there are others out there, um, to um, broaden your network. And if you're looking for something to do with, you know, there, there are two things here. Uh, you know, when you say I have someone has additional funds, right? There's the philanthropic bucket. Mm -hmm. As a nonprofit, we fall into that philanthropic bucket and, you know, we rely on individuals to make donations. There are lots of great organizations out there. What I always say is uh, identify organizations that are doing the really hard work that needs to be done, that aligns with your interests and your values and support them. It's, it's just so important. It, you know, people might think that it's so easy to get nonprofit grant dollars. It's not. It's really tough. Um, and again, even getting those grant dollars relies on relationships. So identify groups that uh, have, have do work that align with your interests and try to identify those that may have difficulty getting uh, capital, getting funding. So there's the philanthropic bucket. And then there is the bucket of investments. Now, the purpose of investing is to get a return and you want to get the highest and best return. I am not an advocate for, um, you know, pursuing or being okay with, uh, with a subpar return necessarily. What I will say is that, um, Oftentimes, the market looks at risk in a way that um, has a bias toward certain attributes seeming risky to the market. And that's the piece of it that we have to get over. What is the, the component of risk that is really due to bias? I won't even say go so far as to say racism or, or anything like that, it could just be biased because we don't know, we don't have the exposure mm -hmm. into these markets. We don't have exposure to these entrepreneurs. So that's where, again, the relationships, getting connected, 
getting a deep understanding and meeting people who are different from you um, is super important. And then you invest in accordingly, but the field of investment opportunities will be much broader. I just want to make a reminder here that we are answering questions if you have any. So uh, line them up for us and uh, we will get to them. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, um, what do some of these success stories look like? Like, tell me, tell me what some of this looks, you know, what, what some of your, you know, your favorite success stories are. Yeah, there's one in particular that I point to because it brings our work full circle. Um, it's an entrepreneur who is based in New Jersey. She has a company, 40 Dreams Catering, um, that serves, uh, provides meals, um, uh, fresh prepared meals to seniors and disabled adults, and it's paid for through Medicaid. Um, it's a great business that is serving the community. And the entrepreneur, Adrian, has uh, been part of our community for quite some time. She has grown tremendously over the years. And at a point, she decided that uh, not having her own building was really posing a challenge to her, a, a risk, a significant risk factor to her business overall. So she was looking for a building. For a whole host of reasons, um, she had not been able to get funding for, uh, for a building. Um, like the mortgage, right? For the mortgage, right. Um, despite the fact that her business was doing well, um, so that was a challenge. And she had, you know, become discouraged at, at some points. And um, through a connection, uh, through our annual summit, we were working on our, our virtual, or turning our annual summit to a virtual event in 2021. And she had an opportunity to meet a person who um, was part of our committee, our summit committee, a person who was from a family office, um, and who has some level of privilege for sure. Um, a white woman, I'll say, and Adrian is a black woman. Um, they became friendly, we're talking, and also I should say this woman on the side um, is in the hospitality space, has her own business on the side, um, so has hospitality experience. So they bonded around that. Um, since they, they met, um, they've been meeting every week, essentially, virtually every week, um, for Adrian to, you know, get the support and ask questions. So it's become sort of a mentoring type relationship. But in that time, uh, I believe it was last year, Adrian identified a building and it was seemed like the perfect opportunity. Again, she went for financing and the options were just not working out. And so as she was talking to, uh, her mentor about this, uh, she made this the statement, the mentor said, ask the owner, ask the seller for financing. You know, maybe he will do seller financing. And Adrian was kind of resisting that, you know, and Adrian has made the point to us that culturally that was not something with which she was comfortable, that she had always grown up being told that you don't ask people for money, that that's a sign of weakness. And that is just, again, a cultural relationship for money that was part of her upbringing. Um, finally, all the options seemed to not be happening. And she went to the seller. And, um, and and the thing is also, I should point this out, the seller kept saying, if there's anything I can do to be helpful, just let me know. And when Adrian conveyed that to the mentor, the mentor kept saying, 
he's telling you that he'll do the financing. That's code for that. And Adrian said, no, no way, no way. Well, finally, she ended up going back to him and saying, hey, look, um, David, you know, things are not working out. And that's all she had to say. And he said, okay, so look, here's what we're going to do. And here are the terms. He gave her very, very um, competitive terms, better than anything that she had been offered. Um, wow. It's a great relationship. He's super helpful because as he explained, she is coming into his community because the building is located in a place where he still lives. So he cares about the business, wants it to be a great part of the community. Um, he's become just a great supporter of hers. Again, Adrian would not have even known to pursue that path had the mentor not said, no, that's code. And that's how it works in this right. world. You sometimes need that person, right? You need that person. But what he revealed is that someone had actually done that for mm. him, right? That's and nice. so it's these things that in worlds of affluence and, and money and resources, there's a way that it works that people on the outside don't necessarily understand. And that's yeah. how it is. So we just need, you know, by opening doors and creating those connections, we broaden the access to resources across the board. Our listener, Hal, wants to know if you if uh, LinkedIn is a factor or is useful in making these kind of connections. And I, I believe you were telling me about, about this woman earlier, the entrepreneur, and she came to you through LinkedIn, right? Like kind of that way? Well, the, the entrepreneur did not. We've known her for a very long time. However, the person who became her mentor did come through. She reached out to me through LinkedIn. And I have to say, I am like a total LinkedIn junkie. Um, my husband laughs at me because he says, you're just connecting with these people you don't know. And I say, but the point of LinkedIn is to connect with people who you want to know and whose interests seem aligned with yours. So I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I've made such wonderful connections and built relationships just through a, you know, a, a click of a button to connect. That's amazing. Well, let's talk about you for a minute. Um, what brought you personally to this kind of work? <laughs> wow. Um, so we don't have like three hours to tell the entire backstory, but I will say my parents had a business growing up. So I grew up in a household of uh, business owners. Um, they had a newspaper publishing business together. Uh, it was a, a, a publication called City News. It started out as Plainfield Today, which was a local newspaper. Um, it grew to be a statewide publication. Um, and I saw the ups and downs. Um, so I saw when things were good. I saw the flexibility. I saw the working through the night. Um, sometimes uh, my sister and brother and I would uh, be with my parents at, you know, one, two in the morning. My mom was on the editorial side. So there are all these deadlines. So, you know, I, I saw what happened also if um, uh, customers paid late and the, the stress about, you know, being able to make payroll, things like that. Um, when I graduated from college, I started my career in the investment banking financial analyst program at Goldman Sachs and mergers and acquisitions. Well, that was quite a different <laughs> side of the coin, Beth, where um, Can imagine. there were lots of resources. And that was where I got the exposure to this concept of starting a business, 
creating value, selling the business to extract that value and build wealth. That was not something that my parents talked about nor their peer companies uh, discussed. It was really more about, at that time, self-employment, creating a legacy, right? You know, a business to pass down to kids. And that was, again, due to um, historical factors in the Black community about, you know, job security, things like that. Um, So that was sort of the foundation And um, I had an opportunity during the dot-com boom to work with some companies to write business plans. And I did that for a period. And, you know, that's when I started seeing who had difficulty raising money and who, uh, for whom it was easier to raise capital. And my father and I ended up coming together when uh, they retired from City News. And unfortunately, they had not built a business in a way where they were able to extract the value and sell the business. Um, I always felt that that was wealth that was lost. And so uh, he and I came together to create the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. Originally, we wanted to raise a fund. There was no appetite for that back then in 2001. So in 2002, we launched the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership as a nonprofit um, that was focused on changing the game. Excellent. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, what do you say to people who are out there um, who are interested in either finding the funding for their projects or for investing at, with an inclusive mindset? And what's the best way for them to get involved, just nationally, anywhere in the country? Like, how do people jump in? So people who are interested in uh, funding for their business really uh, make connections network, you know, you have to put yourself in the places where the investors are. And um, that's not always just going to pitch events or in, you know, kind of entrepreneur events. Um, Put yourself on the golf course, put yourself in um, uh, um, sessions and, and events where there are wealthy people, people with money. That's Basically, what you have to do, it is about networking. Um, And then I would say, you know, now there are more groups like ours who are trying to facilitate that connectivity. So if that is not your natural network, um, join join groups, join communities. There are a lot, uh, there there are many of us that are out there trying to do that. Um, I would also say, you know, and I will put in a plug, um, recently we acquired Pipeline Angels, which is an angel investor uh, network, training and network. Um, And with Pipeline Angels, again, it is that inclusivity. It is the um, uh, training with an inclusive mindset. And there is an opportunity for um, founders to uh, uh, apply to be part of the pitch summit process. Um, And for people who are interested in learning about angel investing, again, we don't make recommendations on uh, the investments and and people, the participants are doing that on their own, selecting the types of companies, et cetera. Um, But people who are new to that space want to learn more, or even maybe people who are, have been angel investors, but they want to broaden their network. Um, Pipeline Angels provides a great opportunity to do that. So what if you're on the other side and you have money and you, you're you looking for interesting, involved ways to spend it? 
um, or invest it that aren't just buying an ETF or, you know, treasuries or something? Again, I go back always to the connectivity. Connect with more groups, connect with groups like ours. And we're happy, you know, we, we are not trying to do this alone. So when we say we're about connectivity, we're trying to connect people to lots of different groups and opportunities and um, uh, different VCs that are raising money to invest in the types of founders uh, that you're talking about. So um, again, I think that people have to be intentional. You know, and if you, if you even just go online and look up, um, you know, groups of uh, whatever it is that interests you, look up groups and you can find groups that you may not have been aware of previously. Go to their events, join their communities and generally get involved. That is really the first step. You talk a lot about an inclusivity uh, mindset. How do you take what we've talked about here today and the, the angel investing process and turn that into something broader in just people's general lives? In general lives, yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll share two quick stories. Um, I have a, a very good friend. She and I met when our uh, sons were in preschool together. And uh, she is a, is a woman who is Jewish. And we were having a conversation one day and she said that when their family travels in Europe, they do not use her husband's last name, which is more, you know, in her words, more Jewish sounding than her last name. And so they book rooms under her last name. Um, and she said that was, you know, of a, of a fear of um, reprisal, again, and, you know, discrimination or bias um, against Jewish people. As a person um, whose name is Jill Johnson, that is just not something I ever would have thought about. That never would have occurred to me. But having a friend who brought this up in conversation one day, um, now I am more sensitive to that, right? I am, I am now understanding that dynamic. Um, you know, another example, um, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, the thought about tattoos was, you know, only certain kinds of people get tattoos and people who are not on a college trajectory or a mm -hmm. professional trajectory. And if you have a tattoo, you're going to have to keep your sleeves down, all this sort of thing. Um, that was kind of the indoctrination growing up. Well, today, everyone has a tattoo and people have tattoos that are exposed. And it's a sign of, you know, your your life story and journey. And people get tattoos for all kinds of reasons. Well, our two oldest sons, I have four sons. The two oldest have lots of tattoos, the sleeve and tattoos on the back, not no face or, or neck, but, um, you know, have lots of tattoos. And so my understanding and journey to learn that what I grew up thinking about tattoos is just not so. And it has no, you know, um, uh, association with someone's capabilities, their trajectory or anything. But it's because I had that exposure and knowing people with tattoos, that seems so silly, but it, the lesson really is transferable to all groups, right? right? People have their biases, their preconceived notions because we see different things in the media. Media is very, very, very powerful. All the messages that we're getting constantly. 
tell us certain things that feed into our brain and create biases that we may not even know that we have. Getting to know people who are different from you helps to um, break down those barriers, eliminate the biases, create greater understanding. And when you do that in your life in general, you will have a, a life that is richer um, with more exposure, more understanding, and where you're not taking yourself out of opportunity because of those biases. Right. That's that's great. That's a great message. Broaden your network, talk to more people, get on LinkedIn, <laughs> basically. Um, this is that, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we really appreciated it. Um, for everybody who's out there, please join us again tomorrow. Barron Senior Managing Editor, Lauren uh, R. Rublin, and Associate Editor for Technology, Eric J. Savitz, will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.